tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Hello, everyone, and welcome into the latest edition of Mile High Magic. Glad to have you with us as we recap the 2020 draft for the Denver Broncos alongside my partner, Nikki Javala. I am Michael Spencer. Nikki, just overall quick thoughts on on the draft, not necessarily on the Broncos, but I don't know about you. I was watching this draft and and the lead up to the draft and I was like something is going to go terribly wrong and I cannot wait for something to go terribly wrong I was excited I was one of those people who was like watching the NASCAR race for the wreck you know like maybe that maybe that reflects poorly on me but that was kind of how I felt going into the draft I actually thought that the virtual draft went very very smoothly and I thought it was a lot of fun and gave us a lot of good insight um, and and really kind of a different feel into the lives of the players of the coaches and the owners. I liked it. I liked it a lot better. It almost did go terribly wrong. Poor Vic Fangio. His everything, <laughs> his power, his internet all went down five minutes before the draft, but the Broncos IT team and uh, Comcast got it back up and running just in time. But yeah, I think that was the only hiccup, right? I mean, there was no other... No other issues. I thought it went smoothly. I enjoyed it too. I mean, I also enjoyed the fact that I could work from my couch with my dog right, and, you know, right. not at the facility. Um, but I, yeah, I, th- I thought it went well. I kind of wish they would do this every year, but they probably won't. <laughs> you know what? You know what that story about Vic Fangio tells me? is that the other half just lives a little bit different. <laughs> if I call my cable and internet provider, I'm on hold for at least 45 minutes before I can yeah. get a person. And it's four days before somebody yeah. can get to my yeah. house. Vic Fangio, oh, they're there in five minutes. We got you, coach. During a pandemic, no less. Um, right, right. <laughs> and they, they, had, they had CenturyLink, Comcast, who was the other telecommunications company, but they had them all like on retainer. They had generators. I mean, Vic's house is like, <laughs> souped up so much right now. I can't even imagine what his bill is going to be like this month. (laughs) Well, I have a feeling the Broncos will spring to cover the bill. You know what I mean? Um, I also really like, I loved the, the interaction between the coaches and their kids, um, Bill Belichick and his dog, you know, like whether or not Mike, somebody was on the pot at Mike Brable's (laughs) house, you know, like that was actually a really fun component to the draft that you simply don't get when everybody's in their suit and ties and in the war room. yeah no I, I just had a more personal feel to it than you know a guy just walking across the stage like he's graduating from high school you know like i don't need to yeah. see draft picks in a boat i really don't doesn't do much for me this was neat i mean i you could argue that it was a little um dry at times because the the, the picks didn't they never really seemed too excited um but there was mm-hmm. also that kind of there's that delay too so you're always yeah that was weird, and I don't know that there's anything they can do about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was odd, where like the pick knows, and then he's waiting for the name to be announced so that right. he can celebrate, you know. And um, but uh, but I did think overall it was a very very well done production. Um, and so let's let's get into what the Broncos did over the last uh, weekend, over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in those three days. And Nikki, to me, this was clearly the draft for Drew. I mean, yeah. this that was evident from 
day one, and then it just continued to be more and more evident as the draft went on. And I think that they have now set up Drew Locke to be in a really, really good position. I think that that this was a draft to say, okay, hey, look, man, if there were any questions about it, there are no more questions. You're now our guy, and we're going to surround you with as much talent as possible. Now go get him. Yeah, no, this offense is loaded with skill position players. I mean, they got speed, they got size, they got route running. They got, you know, guys that have tremendous catch radius. Was it radii? Radius? Um, they they got a number of positions. And not to mention in free agency, they got, you know, not just one Pro Bowl back, but they got two Pro Bowl backs now. They got a new right guard. They got him a backup quarterback who knows he's a backup quarterback and, you know, a blocking tight end. I mean, they really stack the offense around him. Um and I think it shows two things. One, that they never felt that the six other quarterbacks were worth investing yeah. in. Because <laughs> this is the first time they've done it. And I, I too, you know, part of me kind of wonders, you know, John Elway didn't really have that much help in his early years with Dan Reeves. It was a conservative offense. You know, everything kind of changed when, when Shanahan came in and they got loaded. But a lot of this, I look at this, I'm like, this is kind of what John Elway probably wish he had and didn't in his early years. Um but it, it, and I'm going to be, not to be like too critical here, but, you know, I, I do worry about the tackle situation. I mean, Juwan James hasn't played a full season in four years. Garrett Bowles, we know his issues. Elijah Wilkinson, versatile, has potential, struggled last year, though. And he and Bowles are, are going to be competing for that left tackle spot. They didn't draft a left tackle. The only tackle they added was Hunter Watts, who's this, mountain of a human being from central Arkansas. Um, but he's more of a developmental guy. Um, and I talked to his agent, his agent said he, he's, he's a right tackle at the next level and it will take some work before he can become a swing tackle. So it's to me, that was the biggest mistake of the draft. If, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, when I look at, at what the Broncos did and I really liked how they loaded up on offense, but I was shocked that they didn't at least take a tackle to at least push Garrett Bowles, right? To at least make him feel insecure. And John Elway came out after the draft and said, hey, look, Garrett's going to compete for his job against Elijah Wilkinson. I don't think that strikes fear into Garrett Bowles at all. I I really don't. And so what the Broncos have continued to do with Garrett Bowles is they have continued to allow him to make mistakes and they have yet to say with any sort of sincerity, hey, this is no longer acceptable. And they have yet to make any actions to make Garrett feel like, okay, my job might be on the line here, you know? So that to me was was the one big takeaway that they didn't do and and the one big surprise. And that's why, you know, I hate... I hate putting grades on drafts and whatnot because I think it needs three years before you can finally uh, really officially evaluate a draft class. But I that, to me, is the one knock on on this and the one thing that maybe keeps this from being a really, really solid draft class is that they didn't go out and, and fix what was an obvious need and what has been an obvious need for the last several years. And they are going to rely on... Garrett Bowles, who we know is available. Yes, he started every game in the last three years. That's great. But then you're relying on Juwan James, who you don't know whether or not he's going to be available. And those are two really big question marks, and you didn't do anything in the draft to address them. And it's, you know, this is not a a knock on the players they drafted. I think K.J. Hamler has the potential to be, like, a game changer with that kind of speed. He's Mm -hmm. shifty. And this is not a knock on the third receiver that they drafted, who has a ton of potential, too. It's... 
it's what they didn't take, not who they did take instead. Um, and it's and it's not just about Garrett Bowles either. It's like they don't have enough depth there at tackle. They don't. I mean, the only yeah. other tackle outside of Bowles and Wilkinson and, of course, Juwan James is, is Jake Rogers, who, you know, was was pretty good in the limited time he saw. He he's only had one start though. He's he's the only tackle on the roster outside of the other three who's played a single offensive snap. That's worrisome, especially with a young quarterback, a young offense in general. You need the protection on the edges. And you know, maybe maybe they find an answer from um the waiver wire. I mean, they added a number of guys last year that were that were let go, but again, consider that these guys are players that teams don't feel are good enough to keep on their own roster. I mean, you'll find some gems, you know, (laughs) you'll find some gems like Brandon Marshall was one of those. Right. But you know, for, for tackle, that's a premium position. They're not going to let the good ones go. So were you, were you surprised when John Elway said that they weren't in the market for, for Trent Williams, given his words were given the, what we thought the compensation was going to be. And then it ended up being two draft picks and I'm sitting there like, well, wait a minute. I, I I felt like they could have been in on that. Now, obviously, there's a salary issue there, too, because Trent is very uh, highly paid. Right. But I just thought it was interesting that they weren't maybe more involved in that. And, Nikki, it doesn't seem like they they wanted to improve their tackle right. position. Right. I, I was a little bit surprised by that, but also knowing the Broncos, not surprised, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I do wonder if the compensation got that low because out of desperation because, you know, Minnesota kind of fell through there when they who they get Ezra Cleveland. Oh, there's Joey. Um, <laughs> but I do wonder if the compensation kind of dropped that low where it was only worth a fifth and a future third to the 49 up to the um, Redskins because they had no other options at that point. Minnesota mm-hmm. fell out when they when they got who was it Ezra Cleveland, right? And so then what, right? Um but I I you know I do feel like the Broncos and maybe they did and they just don't want to say anything that you know they didn't even inquire. Yeah. Um yeah. the the salary cap hit is is significant though they could re, you know completely scrap the last year and Give them a new one with lower cap hits, um, which is what I'm guessing the 49ers plan to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a seven time Pro Bowl left tackle. You know, yes, he's 31, but he's still better than pretty much every other option out there. Yeah, I mean, he comes in and he, he immediately solves your, exactly. your left tackle. Exactly. Issue, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, you know, the other thing that I, that I thought while watching this draft was it, it's not just the Broncos. It's everybody else who's trying to keep pace with the Chiefs and the Ravens. And you saw what Oakland did and, and the way they went in this draft, drafting wide receivers on consecutive mm-hmm. picks, you know, and, and getting Henry Ruggs in the first round. Everybody is trying to keep pace yeah. with the Chiefs. And the bottom line is, especially here in Denver, the offense has been so inept over the last couple of years that they have had no chance to compete. Their offense hasn't been able to even keep them in games. Right. And when you look at it, where things lay at the end of the 2019 season, the Broncos were averaging 17.6 points per game, fifth worst in the NFL. You look at the playoff teams, they all averaged, all of them except for one, 11 of the 12 playoff teams averaged better than 23 points per game. So the Broncos are a touchdown away from even being yeah. in a playoff conversation based yeah. on their offense. I mean, the, the eight teams who have beaten the Chiefs over the last two years, 
They've averaged 35 points to beat them. I mean, when, how many times have the Broncos scored 35 points? <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was just thinking that. Like, I, has it been since Peyton Manning? I mean, I'd have to go back and check. But it seems like it's been a yeah. really, really long time. Yeah. No, it's – yeah, they got a ton of work to do, no doubt. And I love that they that they did fully invest in building around a quarterback. I mean, I feel like that's something – they haven't done it. Maybe they they didn't believe any of the other six were really the future. They didn't feel it was worth it. But um, clearly there's that feeling now. And there's that urgency, I think, too. I mean, John Elway has two years left on his deal. It's either mm-hmm. fix it now or, you know, he could. If this, these are his last two years as an executive, he'll end his tenure as kind of, you know, the two different, you know, you led them to a Super Bowl and then it just kind of fell apart, you know, and I don't think he wants that well, on and his you know, legacy. And, well, and you know the conversation there about, yeah, you led him to a Super Bowl, but you never did anything without Peyton Manning. Exactly. You know? And like, that's exactly. going to be part of John's legacy if these if these two year, next two years go the way the last yeah. three have gone. Um, do you have a, a favorite pick from from this class that, that stands out to you and a guy that, that you really like? Um, whether it's it's where they got them or, or how they got them, is there a favorite one to you that's, mm-hmm. that stands out of the 10 that they got? I like, I mean, it's not really a sexy pick, but I love that center. I, Lloyd Cushenberry, <laughs> I think he's a stud yes. and he's needed. Yes. And I was shocked he fell to the third round, but I'm glad he did for the Broncos. I mean, he is, a, he's a great player. A really good character guy, so to speak. I mean, he's the only offensive lineman in LSU history to get there. Um, number 18 jersey, which is a commemorative thing or an honorary thing for um, a guy's character. So I think that speaks volumes. He's He was my uh, he was my second favorite pick behind Judy, of course. Um, yeah. I'm also really intrigued by two others. Um, the defensive tackle, McTelvin Agum. I think he could be a stud, especially in this defense. I mean, he, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of Shelby in that, in my mind. Yes. Um, he played end, he played tackle, and, and Fangio's scheme. Um, you kind of need to know both, you know, because he blends the, you know, 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. And he's a guy that, to me, just with his quickness, if he can refine his pass rush, has a chance to be a really big player in this defense, especially with Shelby only on a one-year deal, too. You know, they got to mm-hmm. – and they don't have much depth there, so – um, and the other one, I, I love that guard. I hope he can stay healthy because he is a beast. Um, yes. Natane Muti, um, the former um, tuba player turned guard who is, who like, I, I don't know if other people saw his highlight tape from Fresno State, but it is hysterical. You tweeted it out, didn't you? Yes, it is. You have, it is hysterical. Like he's literally throwing men. It is, it's Sorry, it's I shouldn't laugh at it, but it's so funny. <laughs> he could be a, he could be a real gem. Yeah, you know, I mean, if he can if he can stay healthy, and if he can provide you some stability there, and I even heard floated over the airwaves this week here in Denver the possibility of maybe if he's good enough, he comes in, he's your starting guard, maybe not from game one, but maybe later in the season, and then you can move Dalton Reisner to tackle. Yeah. And and have flexibility there. So I think that could be an option down the road. But I think if he can stay healthy, he could he could be really, really good. Obviously injuries the big concern there. But I'm with you. I think Lloyd Cushenberry is going to end up being 
one of the best picks from this class, especially where they got him. I mean, everybody had a second round grade on this yeah. guy, it seems like. Um, and then they get him third round, 83rd overall. And I was sitting there when they picked KJ Hamler and I was like, okay, uh, I thought they were going to go Cushenberry there. Yeah. All right. I don't necessarily know how I feel about that. And then when they get Cushenberry 40 some picks later, 37 picks later, I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. You know, so that made the KJ Hamler pick for me stand out even more because you you don't have to get Cushenberry in the second round. You get him 83. And then, oh, by the way, in between Hamler and Cushenberry, you get Michael Ojemudier, the, the cornerback from Iowa. Um, so I feel like that was that he could be end up being the steal of this class for the Broncos because of all yeah. the reasons that you mentioned. And Nikki, what does it say that he was the team MVP on a team that had the number one overall draft right. pick in Joe exactly. Burrow? Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> he started every game for, for Joe Burrow. And that's kind of what you want for Drew Locke too, is you want a center that's going to be there every yes. game for years. You're not constantly changing tackles and centers. I mean, you want some continuity for a young guy to really develop. So I thought he was. I thought they would have to move up if they wanted to get him in the second round, but clearly I was wrong. Well, I I kind of thought so too. And when they were talking about how they tried to move up in the first round, after that I was like, okay, I wonder wonder who that was for. And I thought maybe it was for Cushenberry. And obviously Ruiz was already off the board right. uh, to the Saints at that point um, when you when you felt like they could have maybe realistically moved back in. So the fact that they were able to stay where they were throughout the entire three days. And, and come away with the class that they got, I think is is a really, really, you have to feel really good about that if you're the Broncos. The the one pick I just, I don't know enough about um, is the cornerback. And that's where I felt like yeah. they really need to get a solid potential, you know, immediate starter there because there's just so much uncertainty with Callahan and pretty much everybody else outside of A.J. Bouye. Um, and maybe he can be that guy. Um, you know, I, I looked primarily at guys like Trayvon Diggs and Cameron Dantzler, who was, you know, they chose, uh, Ochimudier over, over Dantzler and a number of guys. Um, so clearly Vic and Ed Donatel saw something in him. Um, I'm just not sure how he fits or even if they plan to make him a safety cause he's a bigger mm-hmm. guy and they didn't take a safety. They just Wave Tyvis Powell. They have like almost no safeties on their roster. And Kareem Jackson is going to be what, 32? Is he already 32? Um, to me, that was kind of a wow. I was surprised by that. You know, you know who's loving that right now is Justin Simmons. <laughs> Heck agent. Yeah. Heck <laughs> so yeah. He's like, I'm not signing the franchise tender until you get this guy a long term deal. Then we can put some pen to paper yep. because. You don't have anybody right now, right? right? Like if I'm if I'm his agent, Todd France, I'm looking at that like, okay, great, go ahead, Broncos, yeah. keep drafting positions that you do. keep loading up on wide receiver. Yeah. That's great for my guy. Yep, <laughs> they need him now more than ever. He's got all the leverage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's do some winners and losers from this from this draft, and um, I'll start with with the winners, and it's the guy that we talked about earlier. Uh, is one of mine is Garrett Bowles. I mean, I think that that's that's obvious for a ton of different reasons, and I think he's got to be sitting there feeling really, really good about where he projects and about just like his only job this offseason is to beat out Elijah Wilkinson, right? And and it doesn't seem like if I'm Garrett that I would be too afraid of that, right? Or or be too scared about that, and so uh, I think he comes away as a big, big winner from this draft. Yeah, and you know, Garrett gets. 
more than picked on a lot. Like, and he brings it on himself. I get it. But like some of the things people say about Garrett Bowles is really just appalling. And I like, I think I would have a nervous breakdown. Like if a lot of people said that about me and he's always criticized always. I mean, anytime there's a, you hear a whistle, as John always said, you're always like, Oh gosh, don't let it be Garrett Bowles. And again, he's, he's kind of done this to himself, but at times you kind of feel for the guy, like, you know, it's, he's, he's had different offensive line coaches. He's played in a different system every year. He's been in the league. Um, he hasn't had that consistency. Uh, you know, you hoped he would, you know, eliminate some of the penalties earlier than late in his third season. But I also wouldn't rule out the possibility that he can really turn it around in his fourth year with Mike Munchak coming back. I mean, he is, he's a very athletic tackle. There's a reason he was a first round pick. Um, they didn't just, you know, pick a name out of a hat there. So, you know, maybe he can turn it around and kind of instill some hope that he can be a reliable guy there. And I don't see them picking up his fifth year because it's $11 million, but maybe they just, you know, give him a new deal at the end, a shorter term deal. If there's always that possibility too, you know? And and the thing you got to remember with Garrett too, is he's, he's relatively, he's old in years, but he's relatively young in terms of football years, you know, in terms of how long he has actually played mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. And so he maybe hasn't had the coaching that, that he has needed. And I think your point is very valid with Mike Munchak coming back in a second year, you know, and like we started to see Garrett make progress toward the end of year three. Now, can he continue to build on that? Right. And I think the Broncos are banking on the fact that he can. Right. Um, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on him and a lot of pressure on Mike Munchak. Um, and now the question is how, how do they respond? Right. You know, and, and can Garrett turn it on, on, on Sundays and stop holding? You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, if he can't eliminate the penalties, it's just a, that's it in my mind. I don't <laughs> clearly don't know. It depends on what the Broncos think if they really want to ride it out at that point. Um, but if he can't reduce those and that's just, you know, cause to me, that's, that's a focus thing, but you know, well, it's a focus thing and a, a don't get beat thing, you know? Right. Right. Like don't get beat and you don't have to hold. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the other big winner is the other big winner is drew lock. And, and you and yeah. I talked about this before we started recording. He's a big winner. It also puts a ton of pressure on oh, him yeah. entering his second season, oh, yeah. only having five games under his yeah. belt. Yeah, this is a, we have given you everything. You better be the quarterback we expect you to be. And if he's not, I mean, I would imagine they give him some leeway. Again, he's only had five games. He's not going to be, you know, season veteran overnight, um, especially with a new offense, especially with the circumstances this offseason where they don't have a ton of time to get reps in. You know, he's got a ton of new guys around him and he may not um, get field time with him for, you know, maybe a week's months, who knows? Um, but, you know, the expectations are always high in a player's second year. They're always high on a quarterback, especially in Denver. And they're even higher now. And, you know, that's a good thing that they invested in heavily around them. Um, but yeah, it's, you better make this work type of message, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you make some really valid points. You know, I mean, they were planning on getting together in the offseason, him and his his receivers before the draft. And, 
you know, working together and, and finding a place to go throw and go work out. And, and they haven't been able to do that because of the social distancing and the quarantining and everything like that. And that I think puts them behind. And then when you factor in the, the virtual uh, workouts and all these virtual meetings, you know, like that is going to put them behind where they could have been. And I think that's something that you're going to have to consider. You're also going to have to consider that now he has more game tape. Right. Uh, and NFL defensive coordinators are going to watch those five games and how many times have we seen a guy come in, be really successful until the book comes out, right. and then everybody knows how to stop him, and they're able to take away his weaknesses, and what do you do then? Right. Then how do you respond, you know? And he's got a lot of talent around him, no doubt about that. The talent around him is also very young. You know, yes. I mean, when Melvin Gordon is your oldest player on offense, that's yeah. – that that – that can present some challenges. Yeah. And what is what, what is Jerry Judy going to bring to the next level? What is KJ Hamler going to bring to the next level? His favorite tight end target in college. You know, how, can you really expect him to step up and all of a sudden put up all pro numbers yeah. in the NFL? No, I don't think that's realistic. And so when I look at this, there's a lot of pressure on Drew Locke. And to me, 2021 is really the season where I think this offense kicks it into high gear, right? Like I think we're going to start to see some progress over 2020 and then 2021 when Cortland Sutton's in his fourth year, when all these guys that they just drafted are in their second year, when Drew's in his third year, Noah Fant is in his third year. I think you can see this offense really explode. 2021 is going to be interesting because then they have some really tough decisions to make with their veterans too. I mean, could that be the end of Vaughn? You're going to have to pay Bradley Chubb. Yeah. You're going to have to pay Cortland Sutton. I mean, those are guys that are centerpieces now of your team as a whole. Um, but I agree with you. And in that same vein, I think it puts a lot on on Pat Shermer. I mean, he mm-hmm. part of the reason he signed here to be the coordinator was because of his autonomy over the offense. This is his deal. He wanted this. He wants to call a lot of the shots. And I would imagine he had a pretty significant say in all of these picks. If it yeah. doesn't work out, are they going to move on to, you know, an- another coordinator? There's six, you know, and how long are they going to give them to let it work? You know, it's to see if it works. So, yeah, there's there's a lot riding on this. But, you know, I, I think the moves they made for the first time, they have a chance of having it work. Whereas before mm-hmm. it felt like they were just hoping it would work, (laughs) hoping the same thing wouldn't happen, even though much of their roster was the same. So I also think there's a lot of pressure on Zach Azani. Um, you know, I mean, as, as the wide receivers coach, and I think that Zach thrives in these situations, um, because he works really well with young guys, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was kind of his MO coming in from college when he was at Tennessee. And, um, I think that he is going to excel in this spot. And we know that he had some friction with Emmanuel Sanders when he first started, um, for, for that reason, you know, I mean, there was just kind of a disconnect there, but I think there's a lot of pressure on Zach Azani. And then I think on the other side of the football, there's a lot of pressure on Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio because they went out and they got guys on offense who can start right away and who can have an impact right away they didn't necessarily do that on defense and and so you feel like they're gonna have to really coach these guys up especially the draft picks in order to have this defense playing at a high level in 2020 yeah I mean I look at the inside linebacker position they just didn't they drafted Justin was it Strad in the fifth round who is 
known for his cover abilities in college, whether that translates to the to the pros, we'll see. But you know, the Broncos are they've we know about their problems covering tight ends. And this year especially, yeah. it's gonna be incredibly difficult when they face the Bucks and everybody else on their loaded schedule. So yeah, there's a there's a lot riding on it for everybody. Um Zach Azani, I feel like he's sometimes viewed as this young guy who's brand new to the league. I mean, he's he's been around. I mean, he was Antonio Brown's first receivers coach. I mean, Antonio mm-hmm. Brown was a quarterback when he went to Central Michigan, and um, Zach Azani was the one that converted him to a receiver. So he knows this position um, as well as anybody. And I, I think he's a good teacher, and I think Cortland Sutton really respects him. And I think when you have the leader of the group, um, you know, really like – the position coach, it, it, there's kind of that trickle down effect. Um, yeah. So I, I think he could be really good for these young guys, and they are young. I mean, KJ Hamler's 20 years old. 20. He won't be 21 until July. I mean, it's Jerry Judy turned 21 on draft night, didn't he? Yes. Or the day after he got yes. there. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Noah Fant is still only 22. It's it's just kind of crazy when you think about it. But yeah, there's this is going to be an interesting year. I mean, for other reasons too, but you know, the youth and the pieces they've added on offense just to see how they can pull it all together. So there's our winners. There's our guys who have pressure on them. How about the losers from this draft? And, and to me, Deshaun Hamilton, man, I mean that this was a clear, clear sign that he has to step up his game. And it's, you want to say it's insulting. I know the Broncos didn't do it on purpose, but here's a guy in KJ Hamler who looks at Deshaun Hamilton as a big brother. And now the Broncos go out and draft Hamler basically to take over Deshaun's yeah. job. Yeah. This is, a, <laughs> this is the kid that succeeded Deshaun Hamilton at Penn state. This is the kid that Deshaun, you know, sort of mentored at Penn state. And now they bring him in to take his job, which is not all that different from what they did to Jeff Hireman when they signed Nick Vanette, True. who succeeded Jeff Hireman at Ohio state and was drafted in the third round round by Seattle. Uh, yeah. So I, I think Jeff Hireman, Jake, Butt, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, even, I mean, you got yeah. three new receivers. You got, you know, two, two others uh, among their undrafted signees. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a ton of competition in that room. And, you know, Vic Fangio seems to really like Deontay Spencer as a returner, assuming KJ Hamler sees significant time on offense. So where that leaves the rest of the guys remains to be seen. Um, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad for Deshaun Hampton. He had his drops. I don't feel like he was still given enough of a chance to really prove himself. He came on late last season. Totally agree. But that's the NFL. It's not fair. You know, it is what it is. But Tim Patrick, I mean, missing much of last season with the hand injury really hurt him. But he's still a good player, so we'll see if they – they're able to keep him and he's big and fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he brings a different type of skill set than, than some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing for the Broncos to have. When you look at, at this team as a whole, yeah, you feel sorry for, for some of the guys, right? Yeah. And maybe they didn't get a fair shake, but one that's life in the NFL, as you mentioned. And two, if you're the Broncos, that's a good problem to have, right? right. Like if you can, if you can make these guys who are talented players in their own right, expendable because you have more talented players. Well, that's kind of what this is all about. Right. And, and so 
I think that's a that's a good problem for them to have. And then one of my other losers is is Isaac Yadam. You know, I mean, I think that yeah. I think that his time is is kind of coming to an end. Could be coming to an end, um, depending upon what happens. Obviously, he had his issues on the field um, last season, got benched, and then you know came back and still didn't play well. And so I think when you look at at this, he could be a guy that's on the outs um, relatively soon in terms of his position on the roster. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with that cornerbacks group because they got AJ Bouye and Bryce Callahan, assuming Callahan is healthy. They got the new guy. Then you got Devontae Bosby, Isaac Yadam, Devontae Harris, and Duke Dawson really competing for that, you know, final one to two spots, I'm guessing. Um, do any, do they all stay at safety? Do they try to move any of them to – I mean, do they all stay at corner? Do they try to move any of them to safety mm-hmm. given their um, lack of depth there? And yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. I mean, I, Jeff Hireman, I I think he's out. You, you got your three tight ends, Jake Butt. The injury history is just unfortunate for him. Um, Troy Fumagalli didn't get much of a chance either, but he didn't show enough when he did have the chance, I suppose. But it looks like that tight ends room is is getting a complete overhaul. It's packed, yeah. right? I mean, I was sitting there, I was sitting there, you know, like, oh man, the Bears have ten tight ends. Like, what are they thinking? And then all of a sudden, the Broncos draft Albert Okwebenam, and all of a sudden, they've got eight tight ends in that room, and they, right. they just cut Bud How- uh, Bug Howard as we were doing this podcast. But uh, so now they're down to seven, but that's still too many tight ends. I know. You're obviously yeah. not carrying all those guys on your roster, and they like, and don't forget about Andrew Beck. I mean, he's they like him, yeah. they like him enough to trade away Andy Janovich, even so. He's going to be your tight end slash fullback, and then you got the three others. So yeah, they they're going to have some tough, but you know, probably welcome decisions when they have to pair the roster, whenever that will be. Yeah, but I I mean I like their draft. I, I think I'm still curious about a lot of players, and I'm still concerned about the tackle spot in in the secondary. To be honest, I, I you know I, that's been such an important position for them on defense. And I, they just don't have the stability there that, you know, they, they did in the past. And that comes with, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up a, you know, a historically great secondary. Um, maybe they can pick up some guys on the waiver wire too, you know. We know they like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the overall thing here is – they got it. It certainly feels like they got better, yeah. right through through this draft process. And, and we knew there were a ton of holes to fill. They didn't fill all those holes necessarily, but I think on paper, this Broncos team is better than it has been over the last several years. And that is something to be excited about in, in Broncos country and something to look forward to. And I, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to not go into a locker room after a game and be like, why did your offense continue to struggle today? Yeah. You know, like that'll be really nice yes. for a change. Yes. Please, if you remember all the questions from last week, just try to answer them again because clearly not much has changed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. I do not. That you hope you don't have to. And if for their sake and selfishly for our sake, I mean, teams are just much happier when they're winning. You know, they're better to deal yes. with. They're more honest. You know, losing sucks. There's no way around it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, hey, I think, uh, you know, as I said, this is 
this is an opportunity, and it certainly feels like a good time to be a Broncos fan. And obviously, we're going to continue to cover this team for you right here on Mile High Magic. So make sure you rate us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends about it. We're going to continue uh, to pump out uh, issues and and. Uh, podcast as this kind of quarantine thing goes on and as the NFL adapts to its new normal now. And I guess the next big thing, Nikki, is we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen in terms of, of training camp and will there be, uh, you know, the OTAs, will they ever get back together again, you know, in real life and, and kind of how long does that last? And that's kind of the next big thing on the NFL calendar. Yep. Yeah. I need. Teams now, including the Broncos, they've started their virtual period, which is basically like online school. You know, uh, <laughs> they get their iPads and they're having positional meetings um, on those iPads. And then, you know, we'll see that where they're at in mid-May. And if, you know, locally things are able to start reopening on a, on a small scale, but it doesn't look like they're going to be able to return to the field Anytime soon. I mean, just with the size of the roster, I mean, that's a lot of people in one facility and on the mm-hmm. field. And I just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And we'll, of course, have it all covered for you right here on Mile High Magic again. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you rate us wherever you get your podcast. And we will be back with you in the coming days. <laughs>